If you've been a copywriter for more than a few days, you've almost certainly been told that the preeminent copywriting book that you absolutely have to read, maybe even read over and over, is Eugene Schwartz's Breakthrough Advertising. A few years ago, when the book was out of print, it wasn't uncommon to see a single copy of Breakthrough Advertising selling on eBay for close to $1,000. And it is a good book, even a must read for serious copywriters, but it's not the easiest book to read or understand. Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, and my co-host of the Copywriter Club podcast is Kira Hug, and our guest for this episode is copywriter and marketing strategist Chris Mason. Chris spent much of the last two years writing a companion volume for Eugene Schwartz's book called Breakthrough Advertising Mastery. It makes learning the concepts that Eugene Schwartz taught in that book a lot easier to learn. And Chris told us which concepts of the book he thinks are most important during this interview. He also shared his thoughts about songwriting, juggling multiple large projects at the same time, and what it takes to help shift a prospect's belief so they can buy. But first, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator, which is actually coming up pretty soon. We have a nice little wait list you can jump on that we'll link to if you have any interest in this program. And hopefully you do have some interest in this program. Rob, why should someone listening be interested in this program? So if you are a new copywriter, a newish copywriter, or a copywriter that is trying to make a shift in your business in some way, we've actually designed this to help you go through all of those steps so that you can lay the foundation for successful business, including figuring out what niche you serve, who your exact ideal client is, what kinds of services and products they will actually buy, how you position yourself so that they want to hear from you, how you get yourself out into the world, how you price things. All of that is wrapped up into this one, I don't want to call it a a course because it's not really a course, but it's a cohort-based group program that you go through with several other copywriters, all who are working through the same assignments. You start to create your own network and there's just a, a ton of bonuses stacked on top of it as well. Like there's so many reasons to join. I'm actually surprised everybody hasn't joined yet. <laughs> and it's only a little bit tongue in cheek. Yeah, we clearly drink our own Kool-Aid. Um, yeah, and if you think about some of my favorite copywriters working today, um, some of the ones who I feel like are the smartest, the most creative out there, uh, Many of them have been through the Copywriter Accelerator program, whether or not you realize that they've been through the entire program and really focused on their positioning and everything Rob just mentioned, niching, packaging, which has helped them get to that level where they are so successful because they've been so intentional about it. They didn't just happen to fall into their business. They were intentional about all those micro decisions and thinking through what they were building along the way. And you can do that too if you want to be intentional about what you're building um, you can look into the Copywriter Accelerator and jump on the wait list. You can find that at thecopywriteraccelerator.com. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Chris Mason. I got into marketing because I, I came to Nashville where I still live and right after college, like 2003 or so, and I wrote songs. So, and and I performed the two, I, so I traveled around the Southeast and Midwest. And, um, and I needed, you know, I quickly learned that 
well, if you don't learn how to promote shows and handle the business side, like nobody, nobody comes to them. And I started, you know, building an email list back in the early days, people who would come to the shows and I was doing marketing, but I didn't really know that's what it was. And I just, I just, uh, the more I, I studied about how do I make this thing work, uh, what I was doing with music, I came into contact with, there was a book that was written by one of the head marketing creative guys at, at Nike that I remember was really powerful for me that and I, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it, it really like opened my eyes to this world of creativity and how commerce actually happens. And um, that, that was how I got interested in marketing. And then I grew tired of being a traveling musician. Um, I, I still, I still write songs. I, I love that process, but I wasn't too keen on being a performer. And so I had a mentor, he said, you know, you ought to think about getting a, just a regular job because I was saying to him, like, you know, been doing this music thing for six years and I, I feel like I just don't really understand business that well. And I, I want to be a better business person. And so he said, go get a job and learn that skill on somebody else's dime. And so I ended up doing that for, for eight years. I didn't think I would be in the corporate world for eight years, but it really helped me learn the skills that I needed to then build something on the side and, and get out and do my own thing again. So starts out songwriting, then, then working. I got to know uh, as a songwriter, any hits, anything we might recognize? Is it all for yourself or have you partnered with anybody, you know, record labels, anything like that? No, I, um, I had a song put on hold once, which was the, by a, um, uh, country, a diamond Rio okay, and um, a country artist and, uh, but th- that was the closest. So when a song's put on hold, it's like, you know, nobody else can have it. But uh, but that was the closest, and I, I could I probably could have uh, pursued that a little more. And actually, my mom was just visiting in this past weekend. She's like, you know, you gotta get get uh, back to pitching more of your your songs. So um, I told her it's been on my mind because I, I I write you know music. Uh, I mean, I'm writing every week um, that's, just that's for so cool. just for therapy, if nothing else, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you had, if you had made a big, you wouldn't be here with us. So I mean, in some ways we're kind of grateful <laughs> sure sure that, that you're not playing guitar or, or something with Diamond Rio. That would have been, that would be amazing. So um, before we move on though, to the rest of that, what are some of the similarities between songwriting and marketing and the writing that you do? Like, you know, obviously there's some lessons to pull from one that apply to the other. Talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, that's a great question because I, I've thought a lot about this actually, because uh, I, I think one of the reasons that I got really interested in copywriting, which was around 2012, is when I first got introduced to direct response. Um, I immediately was, because I didn't know that this style of marketing existed, because um, I was much more familiar with like brand and awareness, you know, and what, how many impressions are you getting, you know, not real measurable things but then I got introduced um, to direct response and the thing that I that I loved about it was I just saw that this is a, a way that you can tell stories um, and and you can you you can go long um, as long as you're interesting and so I really connected in the similarities of you know uh, finding a good story uh, starting in the middle of the story you know that what we would call the hook it's the same kind of thing when you're writing a song of, um, you know, you've got your, your, your chorus, like, like the way that I start with music is I usually start with the, uh, trying to find the melody of the song first. And it usually evokes this emotion. 
And so then you've got this emotion of like, um, you know, this sounds kind of like a heartache song. And and then for me, it's like digging of what, what stories uh, have I come into contact with or read about um, that, that I feel like I could capture uh, this, this emotion with. And then you just start putting words out that, that don't even go together. Um, there's a great video of John Mayer where he's given an interview and he talks about this process and that, that, that is really what, kind of what copywriting is like for me too, is like when I sit down to write, like I kind of know where, where I'm going. Um, I mean, ultimately I've got the, the thing that I want somebody, the action I want somebody to take. Um, and I just, you know, I just write an ugly piece of copy and, uh, and then it's easier to go back and, and edit it um, and say, oh, I don't, I don't want to say it that way or that that's kind of a good idea. Um, but, and I'll highlight it and I'll come back to it, but it, it, you know, it's a series of days. Uh, it doesn't happen for me quickly at all. That John Mayer video is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to link to that in the show notes. Yeah. I, I have not seen that. Yeah. It's um, wonderful. I'd love to hear more about your creative process before mm-hmm. you even sit down to do that or while you're in it. Like, do you have, is it your morning routine? How does it fit into your life? I used to I actually wrote about this recently. I used to have, um, a routine. When you talk about my creative process, do you mean songwriting or just in general? I mean, more general, but mm-hmm. yeah. How do you stay creative um, and make it a habit? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know about staying creative. I, I think part of that is uh, just sort of in me, um, honestly, but uh, I've, I, I guess the, the habit that I've been good about developing now is yeah, I, I used to have more of a routine where I would, you know, sit down and I would read something or I'd do some meditation. And I found that for me, like on the days that I, that I missed that, or I had something come up, I would, I was so committed to that, that it actually became a bit of a crutch for me. Um, and so I, I felt like, you know, I didn't, I didn't start my day off the right way. And, and, and part of that is probably just from uh, the kind of that black and white thinking. I, I grew up in the, in the South as kind of a, a strict religious upbringing. And so there's part of probably some head trash around that um, for me and just how I think about it. But I, I ended up just saying, I'm not going to have a routine, but what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to commit to um, at this time every day, usually around 745 or eight, I sit down and I'm just going to write. Um, and I don't even know what I'm going to write about, but I'm going to start with writing an email. Um, and it's going to be on something that I, uh, want to teach or talk about or uh, a story, just something. And sometimes they're, uh, you know, you know, they're emails that I would never send. So I do a lot of things in private just to build the habit of, of what I'll do publicly. And, um, but, but that's it for me is just building that, that muscle of just sitting down and writing, whether I feel like it or not, because then I, um, uh, it's very similar to like, you know, exercise where you don't always feel like lifting the weights or going on the run, but, um, but, but you build this, uh, you, you get results, even if every rep is, is not perfect. Um, and that's kind of what I feel like, cause I'm just showing up and I'm, I'm doing my workout, my creative workout. I'm just sitting down and writing every morning. Yeah, I like thinking about it that way. So c- continuing on with your career or going back to while you were at corporate uh, in this corporate job, I think you started a side hustle and then that turned into something or a couple of things. You know, tell us a little yep. bit more about that. Um, yeah, I when, when I saw uh, 
it just became clear to me that direct response marketing and copywriting was was something I needed to learn. So I just uh, 2012 or so I, I was um, studying a lot of Dan Kennedy, um, just listening to a bunch of interviews like the the kind that you guys put out, and um, and then I I decided that the the best way, like the fastest path to cash for me, would be to start consulting. And um, which is something that I had resisted for a while because consulting still felt like trading time for money, which I did, which I didn't want. Um, but you know, the sort of the, the the pain of being stuck in that day job and unhappy was was more than the pain of having to, to deal with you know all the things I thought would be bad about consulting. So, um, so so I just opened my eyes to uh, to start looking for opportunities, and I saw uh, a a friend um, post on Facebook that his company was hiring somebody to help launch their podcast of all things. And um, I kind of had a little bit of tech know-how, but I also knew that they would need, um, you know, these were, these were guys who were involved in direct response too. So anyway, I I got a part-time gig with them um, running their podcast. And then uh, Brian Kurtz was one of the early guests on the show. And I really, I was doing the pre-interview for the show with him and just really hit it off. I uh, couldn't believe that, you know, people still bought things through direct mail and um, it's like, are you kidding me? And uh, so the way it worked with uh, Brian, he ended up becoming a, a client because he was at that time, he was getting ready to leave boardroom and um, he needed a, uh, a, a way to build an email list. And so after that call, I, just, I built a squeeze page for him and sent it to him. It's like, hey, we'll use this for your interview and you can start building your email list. And, um, and, and, and that was it. Like, he just kept coming back to me for, you know, uh, random stuff. And he's like, hey, I'm going to do this Titans Direct Response event in 2014. Will you help me with that? And, um, and, and that was really like my real education into this, this world and, and even who Brian was, honestly. <laughs> Okay. Well, I definitely want to hear about Titans and Brian. I want to know <laughs> the real story about Brian, but um, I'm curious how, how you made the consulting work. And it sounds yeah. obvious because I, I think it just probably came naturally to you, but there are a lot of copywriters who want to shift into doing, offering more consulting and they don't know how to do that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the experience that I had, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a, a there was no system for me. I, I just, it, it's kind of like when, when you're car shopping and you're like, Oh, I think I want to get this car. And then you start seeing that car everywhere you go. Um, for me, it was kind of like that. I, was, I, I decided in my mind that, uh, okay, I, I should, I should look at getting a couple consulting clients. Um, so it'll help me become a better copywriter um, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm halfway decent, um, e- even as a newbie, just cause I connected with it so well from, because it felt so similar to songwriting for me. Um, and, and so I, I just, I just started seeing a couple opportunities. And when I saw this one from, uh, Andy, uh, Andy Drish pop up that they were hiring a, uh, a podcaster, I was like, oh, this, this would be a, a great opportunity. For me, and so I think I think from that was my experience. Um, I, if I had to, if I was advising somebody and they 
um, had, had, had been kind of running into a, a brick wall, not being able to find clients, then my advice would be to, you know, set, set the goal of do, you know, 50 or hundred, uh, outreaches, uh, in, in a week. And you're, you're going to get, you're going to get somebody to respond. It may not be the, the perfect client, but it just kind of depends on where you are and how, how hungry you are. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, I, I'd love to hear about the Titans event. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I was out of the country at the time that, that happened. Otherwise, I would have been there. Maybe we would have met even sooner than we did, Chris. But yeah. um, some of the takeaways from not just from like the speakers or some of the things that you might have learned there, but like from producing the event and helping Brian put that together. I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think um, when we were putting that together, well, I mean, there there were lessons learned just like on the the technical side of things, like uh, getting merchant accounts set up and. There were there were some hard lessons of you know you can't just uh, um, open up a a payment gateway and all of a sudden start charging people three thousand dollars for a ticket without any heads up because that gets everything frozen and um, you know so there there were definitely some lessons like that for me um, I think the as far as like substance on being a part of just watching Brian put that together. And it was really Brian putting it together. Um, the, the way that, you know, it was him and Dan Kennedy that were, there were sort of the, the lead uh, speakers and it was really an ode to, to Marty Edelson, who had just, uh, who had just passed away. Um, and I think one of the things that, that I took away from that uh, for me was just how, how intentional, Brian was about uh, the the small things. So like um, how, how we were going to transition from speaker to speaker, when were people going to need to have a, you know, a bathroom break. So it was just always like thinking about what, um, what, what the audience was, um, what was experiencing, you know, just these little, little details of putting an event like that together. And then, you know, we had VIPs and, and this is where Brian really, um, you know, his generosity and his over, over delivering nature really shines through because he's like, all right, these are our VIPs. They're paying, I think it was like five grand ticket. And how are we going to make them feel, feel special, you know, above and beyond. So they had their own little separate area to eat lunch and, and connect with everybody. And then uh, had what was the biggest boardroom dinner ever. It was, I mean, it was this huge, huge table with I think 60 people and Brian went around um, and he, he, he spoke about each person individually um, at, at that, at that event. And so I think more than anything, it was just, um, and I've, I've continued to learn this from Brian. It's just um, be, be professional and be you know committed to uh, giving people more than they expect from you. Um, and, and that's, I, I have those lessons on a regular basis with Brian. I wonder what other lessons you, you've had and pulled from your time working with Brian marketing lessons, other business lessons. Um, oh. what else? Yeah. What else stands out? Um, so the, as far as the, the marketing lessons, um, you know, Brian, like his, his expertise is in, um, list selection and list development. And, um, 
and, and, and even when he was at a boardroom, you know, managing just a, a huge list of names, like um, he, 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 he truly does think of list as people. So he doesn't, he doesn't think of them as, you know, just uh, a, a data set. And, um, and, and so I've, I've taken that, that's something I've internalized. I'm like, these are, these are people uh, that, that we're making this offer to. Um, and then the, the other component is that the, the list is the most important of, of, of anything you do in marketing. So he talks about the three-legged stool of the list offer and the creative and um and the the idea that if if you've got a a starving crowd and they're and they're hungry you know if, you, if you're if you sell water and you've got a group of people that are dying of thirst like it, it doesn't take much uh to get that offer to convert if you found the right the right people and so um that is that that is probably the the biggest takeaway now uh when i work on any kind of promotion that we're going to do it's always it all, we always start first with uh what list segment are we going to go to and and what what do we what do we know about this list segment based on um how they have purchased from us in the past so if, if we're going to people who bought breakthrough advertising um you know that that then informs the way we'll talk to them and we'll acknowledge um, that we, Hey, we know that you bought this book from us. And we, we know that, 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 that you likely believe um, you know, you kind of believe the, this, this set of values. And, um, and so we've, we've put this offer together just for you. Like we're working on an offer right now for breakthrough advertising um, buyers to join uh, Titans accelerator. And, you know, it's going to be a different type of an offer than, than just the regular one that 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 we that we'd send out to everybody on the on the house list, you know. Yeah, while we're talking about all the stuff that you've done with Brian as really his business partner in so many ways, there's this book that you helped create that yeah. uh, came out maybe two years ago, year and a half ago. Seems like uh, maybe a little less than that. I'm trying to remember when I got my copy, but um, it was a big. Uh, tell us, tell us about that, what the book is and all the stuff that went into it. And then maybe we can even talk about some of the concepts. Yeah. So, uh, breakthrough advertising mastery is, uh, yep. I think yep. what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk um, about that. So that one, uh, so that one was actually, we, we just, uh, started shipping it this past November. Uh, but it did take me almost two years to, to complete it. And, um, and that was a process of, um, when we when we launched uh, Titans Accelerator, there there was a, a subgroup inside of this uh, little virtual mastermind that they just wanted to go uh, deep into breakthrough advertising. That you know, and Brian has the the rights to sell uh, breakthrough advertising. Um, still sends uh, checks every every quarter to Barbara Jean's wife. Jean uh, is the person who wrote the book. I'm sure your audience knows that, but. Um, he uh this this subgroup inside of titans accelerator had these weekly account or study groups um for breakthrough advertising and when i saw that and i participated in them i realized that um you know one of the one of the common pieces of feedback we get from people who buy the book is like 
Hey, this is a really dense book. Um, it, it, and, and they would have questions like, I'm not understanding what he's talking about uh, on market sophistication and things like that, just because it's, you know, a book that was written in 1966, it, it just is a, is a different beast than the way books are written today that, you know, they're much more kind of integrated into an experience of you're going to go online, you're going to get all this, um, probably some training videos, and there's much more of a process. But um, and, and in many ways, to me, that it, it makes me trust older books even more because that like that was it. They were just selling you. You're not you're not getting into a, a funnel or anything like that. Um, there's a little more purity to it. But but anyway, I um, when I saw this interest, uh, I had this idea. I, you know, I wonder because uh, one of the skills that I I got good at developing or I developed in the corporate world um, was being able to take complex ideas and simplify them. Um, and, and, and I enjoyed sort of that challenge. And so, um, I had this idea that we should do a, a boot camp, a two week boot camp where we would teach the first three chapters of breakthrough advertising and let's just see how that goes. And so that's how we started. And I, I put, um, there's eight calls. Uh, I put that curriculum together and got, you know, really great feedback from folks, put 60 people in, and then we did it again. And um, at, at, that, at that point, I was like, you know, I think I could continue this process that I did with the boot camp and just do it for the rest of the, the book and, and put it together in a, uh, my, my original idea was just to make a study guide for it. Um, and so my, my process for that was the first thing every morning, I spent the first hour of every day reading breakthrough advertising, writing, uh, you know, pen and paper, um, just making notes in a, in a notebook, making notes in the margin. And then when I was done, I went back and organized all those notes and just started to, to think, all right, now, how would I create um, like exercises that somebody could do so that they could feel um, you talk about, you know, talking about earlier, like just building that, that muscle and that muscle memory. What can, can you give somebody the, the feeling of what it would be like to, um, to, to practice coming up with some copy that uses, you know, like identification or gradualization, or how would you practice writing to somebody who is solution aware? Um, and, and so the, the goal wasn't to say here, here's fill in the blank template and you, you can write your sales letter just like Gene did. It was more about how can you um, develop through repetition, the, the skill and the way of thinking that Gene is talking about in the book. And so that ended up being breakthrough advertising mastery. And we came into contact with somebody on Brian's list who was a huge fan of Gene and he had collected all the ads, um, like the, the actual ads that were in the book. And so I hired him uh, to go back through the book and put list the page numbers at the bottom of every ad. So if you're looking at, you know, like an old, uh, clear all ad or something, uh, you could look at the bottom of that ad and say, well, Gene talks about this on page 92. So then you could open up Breakthrough Advertising and get what Gene was saying, but then also see the actual ad that, that he was looking at when he was writing the book. So it ended up being um, much bigger than, uh, I mean, literally, because it's over 500 pages, much bigger, uh, literally, and then also just kind of figuratively of just like it was a big project to, 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 to take on and, and put together um, and yeah, it took it took almost uh, two years to to do that, but it's but it's out now. 
I wonder what advice you would give yourself. Like it's such a huge project and maybe, you know, we don't have that same project on our plate, but we all take on these huge projects. What advice would you give yourself if you were starting out again to not necessarily to go faster, but just to be able to kind of like do it differently or better or make it less <laughs> painful along the way? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's a good, I mean, I actually haven't thought about that. Um, cause I, I do, I, I am big on, uh, just for me personally on, on pacing yeah. and, you know, doing, a, you know, a little bit of like spurts of effort. Yep. Um, and, and I, I really wanted to take, take the time because it is such an iconic book, um, that, that I didn't want to like, so, so I wasn't trying to necessarily go fast. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that like, um, I mean, if any, if anything, I think the thing that could have made it gone faster is if, um, cause I didn't move on until like, until I knew in my head that like, I understood it and it made sense to me. And sometimes that was kind of the, the thing that slowed it down. So it was like, um, and, and to give myself more sort of mental Ram, I, I guess it, it would have meant, um, allowing for more thinking time and space for me. Okay. Um, that, that probably would have been the way to, to, to make a, make the process go faster instead of, um, you know, because I was working on, you know, other projects and writing copy. Uh, so it was a lot of mentally just jumping from, from one project to, to the next. And so, uh, I guess that would be my advice to myself, uh, on, on a, on a next project. Like, can you devote more time, um, to, to put it in the effort and then resting and then coming back to it versus putting in the, the effort, you know, the hour or two in the morning and then jumping into another copy project. Um, yeah. They call it, you know, context switching. All right, let's get into it. Rob, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. So a couple of things jump out at me immediately. One of this, the, these things is something we've talked about with Brian Kurtz on the podcast in the past. I think even on the very first time we had him on the podcast, which was episode 22, where we talked about the formula, the direct response uh, formula, 40-40-20, where 40% of the success of your project is in the offer that you make, 20% of the success is the copywriting, and the 40% is your list. And when Chris talked about his approach, Brian's approach, both of their approaches to the list and seeing them as people and not just as an asset for throwing emails at or for you know trying to sell to, but each individual person on that list is a person with emotions, with feelings, with needs, with problems and challenges that need solving. And just shifting to thinking about them as people as opposed to a marketing asset, I think changes the way that we communicate with our audience a lot. And so that's just one thing that immediately jumped out to me, I thought that's worth re-emphasizing, you know, put a put a pin in it or, or whatever you do, because the more we see the people we're talking to as people, the less likely we are to try to manipulate or, or do weird marketing stuff and more try to help them actually solve the challenges they face. Yeah. And that also reminds me of something that Todd Brown talks about frequently uh, around not writing copy like a copywriter where we, and I am so guilty of this, so this always resonates with me, but where when we sit down to write copy to our email list, we kind of put on our copywriter hat and we get 
really, you know, we try to be really clever and we kind of fall in love with the sound of the copy and the conversion principles that we're practicing. We're so proud of ourselves because we're being good copywriters. And it's really easy to forget that there is a person on the other side. And like, would you actually say that to that person? Would you have that tone of voice with that person if you were talking to them? And yes, there's room to kind of ramp things up and you know, kind of speak and show up as an 11 rather than like, rather than diminishing your voice. But I catch myself often just thinking about, okay, would I actually write this to a person if I'm thinking about my list as people uh, and not just um, subscribers or um, people who aren't actually part of the community? Yeah, that's a really good point. And something that I have banging around in my head a lot too. Don't write like a copywriter, write like a human being. One other thing that uh, Chris mentioned, I think this is when he, we were talking about writing music, but just this idea of taking the time to build the muscle of writing. And that, that take, you know, whether it's writing songs or writing copy or writing a novel or whatever, you know, we, we should approach it oftentimes the way that we approach exercise or building muscles or anything that we're trying to get consistent at and to do well and to do better and to grow, it, it, we do need to do it almost daily. And we do need to take a very systematic approach and making sure that we have carved out time either to practice the skills or practice the writing or whatever the thing is that we're trying to develop and build and grow. So uh, again, worth just drawing a line under and saying, yep, uh, ring a bell with me. And, and I'm hoping that anybody listening is thinking, okay, how can I start to build that muscle of sitting down and writing whether I want to or not? And Chris mentioned making the decision to be a consultant and how once he made that decision, he was able to spot all these opportunities. And so to me, that's just really reminding me that we just have to make the decision. And I think where a lot of writer's struggle is not in seeing the opportunities because the opportunities are always out there, but in making that decision because we're so scared or stressed um, or anxious about making the wrong decision so we don't make any decision or making a decision that we feel like we're going to be stuck with for years and years and years. And some of the writers I've seen that you know appear to be more successful because we've worked with them. We really can see how they're showing up, what they're doing. Um, even some of their financials, I've noticed that they often make decisions quickly and they don't stress about the consequences as much because they know they can make another decision if it doesn't work out. And so that part of the conversation resonated with me because I love that Chris just made that decision, made it easy, and then all the opportunities presented themselves. Yeah. In as, I mean, even more than just making a decision, it's giving yourself permission to do this stuff. So oftentimes we'll see copywriters who can see opportunities around them, but because they think of themselves only as copywriters and not as problem solvers or not as consultants or not as partners for their their clients and the people that they're working with, they, they're just showing up as copywriters. So they're there to, to take those orders or to fill that role only. And so giving yourself permission to show up in a bigger way is a big part of that decisiveness of that decision making as well. And we talked about Brian Kurtz. Um, and I just wanted to say, because we were talking about Brian and Chris had mentioned how intentional Brian was at the Titans event that he hosted. And you and I have been able to see Brian in action in the masterclass group we were a part of for a couple of years. And what I love about 
Brian and that intentionality is that he just cares about all those details involving humans interacting with other humans um, down to, you know, when you and I would sit down for dinners with these large groups, which, you know, is, I don't know, sometimes 40 people, 50 people, Brian would assign seats at the table, which was definitely extra work, but it wasn't random. He assigned seats based on who he thought you might want to connect with. There was usually a reason or a story related to where he put you at the table. And oftentimes he would share that with you so you knew why you were wherever you were at the table. And I just, I haven't seen that or experienced that (laughs) anywhere else. Um, I think it's something that is rare these days. And again, it's just another reminder that those little details around um, intentionality can go a long way, especially if you're curating a community of people um, who want to connect with each other and want to be there. Brian has done that beautifully. Yeah, you and I are both unabashed Brian Kurtz fans. We've seen him in action. We've seen how much he cares and how kind and generous he's been with his you know, time and advice for us. He's, he's a great guy. And I am totally jealous that Chris gets to work with him on a regular basis. I think that uh, is a phenomenal partnership. And uh, again, if I could trade, trade places with anyone, it might be Chris and being able to work with Brian. Okay, let's get back to our interview with Chris to find out how we can apply key principles from breakthrough advertising into our businesses to help our clients. Chris, as you think about you know the stuff that you put together for the boot camp, I'm wondering if we can talk about some of the ideas that Gene talks about in his book, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll definitely link to a place where you should buy. It. You know, if you want Gene's book and you're listening and you haven't got this, uh, it has sold for thousands of dollars online. I know there are still some places that sell it for high high amounts. Uh, Brian mm-hmm. makes it available for less, so we'll link to that. But um, most of us know about um, like buyer awareness and Mm -hmm. the stages of that. I think that gets repeated a lot in the copywriting world, but there's way more in, in those first few chapters of the book. So we talk about some of the other concepts that Gene talks about. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the big one isn't, uh, or one of the big ones is, uh, the very first page and it's mass desire. And, and this is key throughout the whole book. And it's the, the idea that, mass desire in the market is, is pre-existing and it's not created. And, and so that's, that's a total, it, for me, at least it, it was a, a huge light bulb uh, to think about what, what my job and my role is as, as a marketer. Um, you know, so when I got into copy, I also was interested in like the, the, the folks who talked about NLP and I was more, just more curious about it of like, you know, can you like, how does this NLP thing work. And I, I think that there, there's a sort of a natural conclusion from that, that I can, um, you know, m- make people uh, want something. Yeah. You're uh, using the right words. They're going to yeah, respond to that. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and what Gene says in the, in the very first page is like, no, 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 the desire is already there. What we do is channel it. And, um, and it gave me this image of, uh, of a river in my mind of like the, the river's just flowing and what we do as marketers is we're just trying to carve off a little piece of the river and figure out how to channel it towards our our product or our offer or whatever it is. And so that was a, a big one um, for me because because then everything else from from that first page is built on like everything he talks about. Uh, so when he's talking about market sophistication, um, 
which is looking at looking at the market and saying, all right, how many other products are are currently fighting for the attention of my my customer, and how do I stand out um, given my my competitive landscape? It always starts with, well, let's let's go back to what the desire of the market is. Um, and so typically, like if you're the first person uh, to market, you're, that's, that would be a stage one of market sophistication. So you, you really don't have to do much more than, than just say, this is my offer. Here's a, here's a price. Um, and because you, because they don't have anything else to compare it to, as you get further, like stage three, for example, you, you, you've got more competition. So people are, are copying what you're doing. Um, they're copying your marketing. Um, but, and, and, and this is where you can get into trouble if, if all you're doing is, is copying other people's stuff, but you don't really understand the desire that, that makes the market, you know, so it does, so it's not that somebody wants to lose weight. It's, it's that, um, you know, somebody doesn't want to end up like their, their mom, uh, who maybe died prematurely and, uh, they want to be there for their kids. Like there, there's so much more underneath those surface desires that people have. Um, but when you get into something like a stage three, then you're looking at mechanisms. So you're talking about like how the product works and you start seeing things like if, if we're staying with weight loss, like our, our weight loss uh, product has this special ingredient in it. Um, so you start to, and, and that special ingredient attacks the fat cells in your body. I'm not a physician. Nobody listen to me, but um, you start to talk about your product that way, and it's based on um, this these stages of sophistication that that really exists for you as a way to set yourself apart from your competition in the in the eye of your uh, of your market. the The first part of the book is all about uh, all about just your headline. Like that's it. Like it's it's not about the body copy. It's just about how do you get attention. Um, and then in the in part two, you get into uh, these techniques that are more about okay, once you've got the attention, how do you? What are you? What are the different ways that you can keep it and lead somebody down um, down down the path to where uh, you've had, you 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 help them see the the problem they're facing. And he he says that you want the solution to that problem to run through your product. So it just feels um, like, well, this is the way that I solve this specific problem that has been highlighted, um, you know, in in the headline and in the lead-in or the ad that I'm responding to, and and you know, two two of the the techniques that that I really um, that that really kind of speak to me. The first one is uh, identification, which I think is in chapter seven, and that's and that's really that's really about knowing who your your market wants to be and and you're 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 telling them in your marketing who they are um you're showing them um through your words through your imagery uh their sort of ideal future self um and you connect with them that way plus you know using all the 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 techniques from part one of the book of how you um you establish yourself as as an expert by knowing what it is that they really want um, and that gets to mass desire and the other things we talked about. The the other technique I, I really like, and this is probably my favorite one, is uh, gradualization, and and that's sort of the the language of logic. And 
it he he really he breaks down in that like the architecture of belief and he makes the point that um if you if you ask if you ask your prospect to accept an idea or a belief that they are not going to accept um then you actually put them in this childlike state and nobody wants to be a child um and i actually i i think that um, an example of something that that may do this in the in the the current world is when you see ads or posts that say, you know, I I sent this one I sent this one email, and it made me a million dollars. You know, and I think that you you can certainly scoop up a, a certain group of people um, it, with with that kind of claim, but it the, those times those types of claims don't really have a long shelf life because they're just not believable because clearly there's more to it than, than just sending this one email. It, it, they're not telling you about the list that they, they built in the relationship. Um, but the thing about gradualization is like you, you start with what are the things that they already, that my market already believes and accepts. And, and the way I do it in the, in the book, the exercise is like, you just list those things out and then it's this in this exercise of like okay i know what i know the things that they accept already and i know the the solution that i ultimately want to offer and then it's like this puzzle of can i make a logical connection between the two so if you already accept that living a healthy life is important all right we can agree on that so what what follows from that and you sort of just build this bridge um, and that whole chapter is chapter chapter nine. Gradualization is is about that process. And he gives there's a great example of of an old ad that that does this, but um, selling a, a TV repair manual. But uh, but but yeah, that gradualization is probably my one of my favorite chapters in the book. Chris, I would like to hear about how your process for distilling the information. And I know you mentioned like giving yourself space and pacing it out, um, on a larger scale, but just how do we take content from a book and then make it something that is actionable that people can implement and really think about and get it? Uh, what does that look like? What it looked like for me, um, was as I, as I read through the book, uh, and I, I just tried to, to highlight and underline what, what were just light felt like light bulb moments for me or, or, or things that I had forgotten or like, Oh yeah, I remember, you know, hearing, um, hearing this idea from Perry Marshall or something like that, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, and so it started just underlining and then, um, often it was at the same time and I'd, I'd underline it. Um, and then I had a notebook right next to me and I would just write out, um, what what the sentence was, and then I would make this um, I would make this dot <laughs> underneath what I wrote, and it usually like a green dot, um, just because I had a uh, here it is actually it was this marker right here <laughs> it's sitting on my desk. I make this green dot, and that let me know that okay, what I'm about to write is is, is my interpretation or my takeaway, so that I could because I I wanted to distinguish between what Gene was saying and what I was saying. Um, and, and so when I went back through it, I was like, okay, this is my idea. Let me make sure that I'm, you know, doing a, not doing a disservice to his idea. So, um, my, that was my process initially of just like, um, 
pulling out the ideas that that spoke to me. Um, and then I, I would, for each chapter, I would just kind of write like a, not, not fascination bullets, but more like a bulleted summary of like, what is, what is the, the most important thing about chapter one of mass desire? And for that one, that was easy. It was, um, uh, d- desire is not created. It's pre-existing. And it's like, okay, if that is, if that is true, uh, we we're going to believe that is true. Um, what, what can I give to somebody to help them, uh, explore that idea in their audience. And, and then that's where the creativity just comes in of like, um, just, you know, just thinking about different ways to give people that, uh, that experience. And so what, what I ended up doing on desire in particular was um, realizing that a book that was written in 1966, like the kind of desires you could talk about, then you could stay high level. Like you could talk about like who, who wants to lose the weight. Right. You know, now after hundreds of different diet pills and things like that, you you kind of have to get below the surface. And so, uh, uh, you know, what's what's under the desire? And and so then I felt like, all right, well that that's what I needed to do on the chapter for desire. So we're going to talk about how do you how do you get underneath um, what somebody really wants uh, underneath the surface. And, and that gets us talking into like transformation. So, so that, so then I had the idea of like, well, let's, if you can describe the before and after, no matter what you sell, if you can describe what your customer's life will be like after they purchase, um, then, then that is really what you are inviting people into is a, a chance to move away from their dissatisfaction and, and towards uh, an identity or a, kind of a, a, a new way of, of, of being um, that, that is also in line with this overall desire of losing weight or living healthy or you making more money, whatever, whatever it is. But it's like, why, why do you want those things? Um, and, and so that, that, that the entire, every, every chapter was like that. It was like, pull my notes out. What do I think he's really trying to say? Um and how could I, uh, what, what are different ways that I could uh, give somebody an exercise uh, to, 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 to practice this? It, it feels like going through this process, Chris, you are probably the foremost authority on, on Eugene Schwartz's book. Maybe someone like Paris Lampropoulos has read it a few more times yeah. and you knows yeah. it. But um, knowing all or, or with all that stuff that you've pulled out of the book now, how do you use it in your writing? When you sit down to write a sales page or create a new funnel, is there a construct that you use as you go through this stuff? Or do you just kind of sit down and it's like, I'm, I'm starting with my template and I'll revisit these ideas and add them in later. Like, how does that all work? Um, you know, it, yeah, it definitely depends on what's being written. So like email is different, like, like email. And I feel like email is what I'm best at. Uh, it's short form and it's usually like story based. And so, um, but, but if it's like a longer form sales letter, the, the thing that always just sticks in my mind is like starting with what, what is the thing that they want? Um, what, what is it that they, what is the, what is the after photo look like for them? Um, and I, and, and then I will then write down, what is it that somebody needs to believe 
um, going to kind of gradualization. But what is it that somebody needs to believe in order to say, yes, this makes sense for me? Um, and th- those are usually the two places that I start. Um, and, I don't, and I don't mean what do they need to believe so that I can, um, you know, manipulate somebody into believing what they don't believe. It's more like uh, sort of that stringing together those uh, stream. He, Gene calls it, uh, you're creating a stream of acceptances. So it's just like creating this yes stream. So it's starting with like, what do they believe now? What do I, what do I need somebody to believe to be able to join Titans Accelerator or, or whatever it is? Um, and, and can I, can I make my case? So I, I, I very much view it as like um, a lawyer making a case. Um, and, and that, and that's probably more to do with, with my personality than, than anything else. It's just like, it's just how I think, you know, somebody like, like Paris or, or David uh, Deutsch, um, you know, who's, who's maybe not so um, regimented would, would have a, a different approach, but that, um, that, that tends to be what I do is I start with what is, you know, Gene says, what is the desire that creates the market? Um, and, and, and so that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about what, what is, what, what is the, the thing that people want that, that even makes this market possible? Um, and, and then I look at beliefs of what do they believe now? What have they tried that isn't working? What do they believe about products they, they may have purchased in the past that didn't work for them? Uh, and then what do they need to believe to be, you know, hell yes. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for writers today and moving forward, um, given your unique perspective and uh, your expertise from writing and just putting this book together? Also knowing, you know, AI exists and these tools are becoming more and more a part of what we do as writers, where mm-hmm. do you see that opportunity? Um, the word opportunity um, kind of takes me in a different direction. Uh, path than, than maybe what you are actually asking. But the, the opportunity that I see for freelance copywriters is to start, um, you know, if like this is what I did with Brian, I, and I, I call it uh, becoming a, a profit partner. So if you've got a skill set to where you know how to, you know, write compelling copy for somebody, you can like put offers together and you've got a client um, that, that you know their business very well, there, there's a huge opportunity uh, to, to go to them and say, Hey, I, I think that if, if you were to launch an offer like this, um, that it would do really well for your list. And here's the deal I'll make with you is I will take on the risk and I will create this offer. And, um, depending on what it is, I will also build the support structure around it. This is how we got Titans accelerator. You know, I went to Brian and said, I, I think you could, you could do this virtual mastermind, this is what it would look like. It, it took 18 months to, to get to a, a yes. And then we launched it, but, but then I built all the support system to, to make it run behind the scenes. Um, in the exchange, you know, I, I get to share in the revenue and that is, that is what I, an opportunity that I see for somebody who is a, is a freelance copywriter to be able to, to look for, you know, one or two of those kinds of deals, because then you start, earning, um, earning money on the things you you've built kind of 
on repeat and and everybody everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction because ever then your client obviously wants the offer to be successful you want it to be successful because it, it, it's um you know it's it's monthly recurring revenue that's not time for money um and and so that that actually uh is an opportunity i see that i, I think um is available to 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 more copywriters than than the ones who actually seek it out. Well, as a follow-up, how do you structure that? And you don't have to share your numbers with Brian, but how mm-hmm. would you recommend we think about it, um, structuring that percentage? Uh, and also, does that mean that you go all in kind of on one profit partner at a time? Or you, you know, do you see us having maybe two or three? What would work? Or what would you recommend? The most that I had, I had two. I do a couple of different offers with Brian that way. And then I had another client in the survival space that we did a partnership on a, a healthy tea product for a couple of years, and then just decided to close that that down. We we didn't have any passion around it anymore. And but I don't know, I, you know, without talking to an individual, like what it is that they want and what kind of life they want, to say like, well, you know, have five or six or one. I view it more as like. I think that this is a good framework that will allow you to use your copywriting skills to do more of designing the kind of life that you want. That that's how I would look at it. And so it's like you you can if, if you've got a book of clients now, like I, I would definitely have a, have been working with a client for at least a year. Like I wouldn't do this with a new client because uh, because you've got to have trust both ways um, and. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many in, in terms of like a percentage, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's um, in the, in the tea business, it was, it was 50, 50 and we did it that way. There, there are issues with 50, 50. Um, I, I think it's probably good to, to have like the, the, um, the, the, the face of the brand, the, the client have, you know, a higher percentage um, and, you know, so whether that's 60, 40 or 70, 30 or, you know, whatever, but I, I do kind of, um, I, I think having the, the client have a higher percentage, um, in, in my experience so far, um, is, it, it seemed to work, work better, but I don't it know. Probably, it's, it's you probably keeps them interested longer, right? Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. So, um, but, but just as a general framework, I think it's an opportunity, uh, for for a lot of copywriters that they just haven't thought of, and it's it's very similar to the idea of getting royalties. Um, yeah. But but in this case, you're taking more of a of an active role, and you also want to do the numbers. It's like, you know, if you could, um, if if it's just about the money, and, and you can make more money just with volume of just getting clients, then then do that. Um, but I think there are some out there who, um, who maybe want kind of a a slower life and, and they, they don't want to continually have to crank the flywheel to drum up clients. And I think, you know, profit partnership is, um, is, is a worthwhile thing to pursue and look into. And and I'd be happy to talk with anybody, um, about that. Your next book. We're uh, we're definitely going to take you up on that offer. We'll, we'll, uh, find a place for you to share that with one of our groups or our audiences. Um, 
So, you know, Chris, as we're almost out of time, I'm curious, you know, with your business, the things that you do, what are you most excited about? You know, what what's getting you up in the morning, aside from maybe songwriting? And yeah. you're just like, I can't wait to get working on that. So um, the thing that I'm excited about right now is, you know, with the release of the book, like I've always been behind the scenes um, and have been happy to be behind the scenes. And um, one of the things that writing the book and doing the boot camps taught me is that I, I really do enjoy um, going deep on a topic and teaching uh, and, and, you know, helping people like one-on-one or in, in a group setting. So I, I didn't know that about myself before, um, before doing the boot camps, but, but, you know, now that I've got the the book and it's got my name on it, uh, I, I am, I've got a, a, a new website that, um, that I actually just today got the new design back from, but I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like, well, you know, what, what does a personal brand uh, look like for me? How could I help people? I, um, I want to do these uh, a few times a week, just offer to let people uh, pick my brain. Um, You know, I mean, I I would charge a a small amount for it, but I just like, um, being able to connect with somebody one-on-one and, uh, and figure out and help them figure out like where they're getting stuck. Um, I'm even more motivated if it's somebody who is in a day job and they're, they're, they're stuck the way that, that I felt stuck. Like I just have a kind of a big heart for those, those, those people. Cause I know that that world, that life and feeling so well. Um, but that's what I'm excited is to figure out what it looks like for me. Um, to you know, step out from behind the curtain a little bit, and um, figure out what I'm comfortable with <laughs> doing that, you know. But uh, but yeah, that that's what has me excited right now. Very cool. Well, uh, I'll book the sessions, the pick your brain session with the wizard. I, yeah, behind the curtain. Yeah, like anytime you put that out there, uh, I'll grab it. Um, we really appreciate you, Chris, uh, jumping into the show and talking about the process of putting the book together and creating it so that we can benefit from it. So thank you for giving us your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. That's the end of our interview with Chris Mason. Before we go, let's touch on just one or two other things that stood out as we were chatting with Chris. I think I went first last time, Kara. Do you want to take the lead here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I love geeking out over the topics that uh, Chris shared with us. And one of them, just another reminder, because I have read Breakthrough Advertising and, and um, that there's so many great reminders that he shared around desire, <laughs> just the reminder that mass desire isn't created. It already exists and we just have to channel that desire. And that's so easy as copywriters to forget that. And I forget that repeatedly. Uh, And then you may put an offer out there or you may help a client put an offer out there and it just doesn't land. And it's because we're not paying attention to the market and really having a pulse on what the market desires today, not a year ago. And this part is moving so quickly today in a way that, that Eugene Schwartz probably couldn't have imagined. And that desire is changing day by day by day. So I, it really is about paying attention to the market, paying attention to your audience, listening to them, because what you think was their desire that you're channeling from not too long ago could have already shifted. And so that just resonates even more than it did 
uh, when I last read the book. Yeah, what he said about thinking about what's under the desire, I think is really critical as well. You know, I, I think he was using the example of, you know, maybe wanting to lose weight and what is the thing that's driving that, you know, oftentimes, well, you know, I want to look better for, you know, putting on a swimming suit or whatever. That's kind of the cliche reason, but there may be other things too, you know, that are, they're psychological, you know, maybe there's uh, a personal need that's underneath that. And, uh, you know, we see this with copywriters all the time where a client will come to us and say, Hey, I need a website. And, you know, the first level reaction is, okay, the desire is for a website. So I'm going to write a website. But by asking a series of smart questions about the business, you might discover that what they're really trying, the problem they're really trying to solve could be solved with a, re a website, but it might also be solved in three or four other ways because what they want isn't a website. It's the thing that the website is going to get them. And maybe that's business related, like, you know, sales, new customers, maybe it's uh, psychological or a mental benefit. Like people are going to see me as a professional because of the way that I'm showing up online, you know, in this way, there's all kinds of desire under the desire. And so really taking a, a few minutes or, you know, as we're doing the research with our clients, it's going to be more than a few minutes, but really trying to figure out what is the desire under the desire. And sometimes it's two or three layers deep, like Chris pointed out. Yeah, that's a great point um, to just keep digging deeper and not settle until you really, until you really um, hit it, that deep desire. We also talked a lot about market sophistication, which I love talking about. And we have a presentation in the Copywriter Underground about the different levels of sophistication and what, what they all mean and how you can use that in your own copy. Uh, I think the important part that Chris hit on is identification and how important identification is today because many of the spaces we work in, at least the space I work in with course creators and launching different memberships, it's very crowded. And so once you've gone through all the promises and your audience has heard all the promises and they've seen all the typical unique mechanisms, once they've kind of know and they've seen everything out there, they stop believing in all of it. And at that point, the best way to connect with them and to resonate with them and cut through all the noise is for them to identify with you as a brand, you as a person with your business. And they can only identify through you if you share parts of your brand with them. And so that's where personality-driven copy can really play a huge role um, in launch copy and uh, many different spaces. So your audience can really see themselves in your brand or see what they want or they aspire to be or a value or a viewpoint and really resonate with your brand so that they're like, oh, this I feel this connection. That's what I want. I see it in your brand. So I'm going to opt in and I'm going to pay attention to this. And again, that's more important today than ever because our space, especially the online marketing space, is just so crowded and messages just aren't landing like they used to. Yeah, and going along with that, that gradualization process is the development of beliefs. And, you know, it starts with the brand and try and a customer or client identifying themselves with something that they see in this brand that they're starting to engage with, but then moving them from where they are, their, the beliefs that they hold today, to those beliefs that they need to have in order to solve the problem that they have. And that's where the you know sales copy um, content that moves people through you know a funnel uh, that's where all of that stuff comes in and it's all about the gradualization process that Eugene talks about and that Chris was talking about 
out to move people logically from one point to another and, until they get to the point where they're ready to buy, they're ready to fix the problem, they're ready to engage or do whatever the thing is that they need to do to take the next step. Yeah, and just how important it is to make the message believable. And if if I say, you know, I'm selling this email template because this email made me a million dollars, that is hard to believe. But if I say I'm selling this email template and this email made me a thousand dollars, or I get really specific with a specific number, but it is believable. It's like, well, it seems like an email could make around $900 or a thousand dollars with that type of product. I can believe that. I can buy that. Then the person leans in and they're more likely to listen to you rather than shutting you down because you make a huge claim that um, no one would actually believe. Yeah, believability is is massive. One other thing I want to emphasize that Chris talked about is the relationship he has with some of his clients that is being a profit partner and the way that he works with them. Again, a little bit different from the approach that most copywriters take where, you know, I find a client, I work with a client, I finish the project and I move on to another client and, and actually becoming a partner like Chris is with Brian Kurtz, like he is with a couple of the other products and companies that he talked about. And those long-term engagements allow you as a copywriter, as a marketer, to learn the market, to be able to understand uh, you know, where people are in levels of sophistication and readiness to buy and all of the things that we've been talking about so much easier when you're showing up as a partner to your client and maybe even as a partner to your partner if, if you've um, designed your business that way, as opposed to a copywriter who shows up as that vendor ready to just help fill the order and move on. And so I think a lot of us could benefit from rethinking our approach to our clients. How can we partner with them more? How can we get to know their business better? What other things can we help them do, problems to solve, challenges to overcome? Then, And maybe, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, maybe we're not showing up as a copywriter anymore, but as a consultant and as a, a true partner in their business. Yeah, and I think that goes back to just making that decision that Chris made around being a consultant. Um, you know, I am at the stage where I just want to be a profit partner with clients. I don't want to run through dozens of clients every month. I just want to work with a few and really dig deep because there's more opportunity for profitability and just keep it really simple. And then once you make that decision, it's easier to spot those opportunities. It's easier to kind of show up as a profit partner and talk in that way and attract opportunities. And so it goes back to just making making that decision and being intentional about it. All right. Well, we want to thank Chris Mason for giving a behind-the-scenes tour of Breakthrough Advertising Mastery and breaking down action steps we can all implement ourselves. If you'd like to connect with him, and you definitely should, you can find him at chrismason.net. And if you want to tune into our episode actually episodes with Brian Kurtz. You can check out episode 324, episode 219, and episode 22. We'll link to all of them in the show notes. Clearly, you and I are on team Brian Kurtz and now also on team Chris Mason.
the brain a lot. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show. If you don't use Apple Podcasts, you can leave the review wherever you listen. We really appreciate that feedback. And be sure to check out our other podcast all about artificial intelligence and how copywriters and creatives are using it to get better at what they do. That's at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. And if you want to join the waitlist for the Copywriter Accelerator that we talked about at the top of the show, head over to thecopywriteraccelerator.com to get notified when the doors open and to get access to the early bird discount. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob. Club.